Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Hobby hustle, stacking slabs. It's Friday, and you know what that means. I am so excited for this episode. Part of what I set out to do with 2021 was to add some diversity to the program, and that is what we're doing here today. I am joined by the first female guest of the Hobby Hustle. I'm joined by Cindy Dick. Cindy Dick is just an amazing collector of vintage women's cards from 1950 or excuse me, 1850 to 1972. Her collection and stories are incredible. She goes by at Giant Legends on Instagram. I got to shout my man, Peter Pacman, for uh, turning me on to her account. And Peter has been just doing an awesome job at trying to elevate females in this hobby. And I think he shared uh, with me Cindy's page and I dug in and said, this is a great opportunity to to talk with a female about her collecting, why she collects and why she's passionate about it. So I'm really excited to share this, this conversation with you. There's going to be more like this. This is just, I learned a ton. This is an area I have absolutely no knowledge in, but have some knowledge um, after, after I got done talking with Cindy. So sit back, relax. I'm going to kick it to the conversation. Enjoy. What's up, everyone? I am excited about this conversation that I'm about to have. I am joined by Cindy Dick. She is at Giant Legends on Instagram. And I'm really excited about this one. And I got to share the story of how we got connected. I had talked a lot about the end of last year, bringing on more diversity uh, on this platform and speaking to women and being involved in the hobby specifically. And a few people that I'm connected with definitely took note of that. And we had been back and forth. And I got a message from one of my favorite people in the hobby, um, Peter Pacman. He, Peter DM'd me and he just said, hey, I just came across this incredible account at Giant Legends. I learned about her today. Then I Googled her. And so it got me definitely interested And I went on Cindy's Instagram page and looked at all of the cards she had displayed, which were super unique. I've never seen anything like it. Went on her website and started to understand the collecting, the collection, and the inspiration behind it. And I think it's really cool. And I'm excited to bring the story here to life. But I'll quit rambling without further ado. How are you doing today, Cindy? Well, thank you for the introduction and for inviting me onto your show. This is a great opportunity. I'm doing well. Thank you. So maybe we start here. Before we get into the cards, I'd love to learn a little bit about you. And I know there was some, uh, you're, you're a former athlete, and I guess you can consider yourself a current athlete as we all do. I, I'd maybe, I'd love to hear the, the backstory about you and athletics and um, how you got involved and kind of what, what sports you were into. Sure. So I played soccer as a kid. I grew up in a town that um, was ahead of its time in the 70s and brought soccer in. And I think every kid in my my, uh, town, which was Reston, Virginia, played soccer. And then I ended up playing uh, track and field. 
Uh, I ran track and field in high school, played varsity basketball, but I'm, I'm built like the size of my pinky. So basketball and me didn't go well together, but I really loved volleyball and we didn't have it in the high school. So I uh, just kind of became um, not so much self-taught, but I, I sought after opportunities where I could learn volleyball. And I ended up in um, receiving a partial scholarship at a small college in Maine. And so now I swim and I ride my bike and I tour on my bicycle uh, with a friend usually. And so I stay active that way. But as a you know, plus 50 year old right now, uh, running doesn't do so well with my knees, but I've always loved images of women in sports. And I think it was that combination of both that just hooked me into trading cards, you know, the love of sports and the love of imagery. So I can definitely feel your pain on, on the running side. I'm, I'm, you know, mid thirties and I'm feeling it right now. So I, I'm looking for alternate workouts. Um, maybe I should try swimming. Let's talk about the kind of the inspiration you talked about Im- images and women in sports. Talk to me about just like when it all came together. What was the moment where you decided, you know what, like sports cards and women on cards is something that I'm interested in? It was really a, a serendipitous mistake um, or just by chance kind of thing. It wasn't a mistake, but I was working on a master's thesis when I was at James Madison University in Virginia. And uh, it was kind of about imagery. It was studying newspaper coverage of uh, Virginia newspapers and how they covered men and women in sports. And so it was both article size and photographs. And I happened to be yard sailing for some reason. And there was this little boy and he had all these cards spread out on a table. And I just thought, oh, you know, they're, they're baseball cards of some sort. And I'll look at them. And, and in the middle of them all was this card of Manol Riom, who was playing ice hockey. And she's all dressed up in her goalie gear. And uh, I thought, well, that's really amazing. You know, there was a woman on trading cards or on sports cards. And I had had baseball cards as a kid. I remember a shoebox of them. And I remember having the Hank Aaron card. And I remember selling them all. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, from the time I was a kid, I really didn't think twice about sports cards because they're so male dominated. So here's this card of Manol Riom. And I thought, okay, I'll go find some more. And so I started going to um, sport card shows and sport card stores. And this is probably around 1992 or three. So it's before the internet took on. It's the hold that it has today. And so I started, you know, finding one by one these uh, cards from the 90s, basically. And they'd be interspersed with other sets or other mail cards. And so I started to get a pretty good collection of contemporary cards and it was through that search that I happened to come across an, a vintage card. And that one has really changed the trajectory of my life in some ways. It was a 1933 Opichi card of Lillian Copeland. And it was, uh, it was a skinny card. It wasn't the traditional size of, say, like how we would picture a baseball card today. It was a long, skinny card, probably no more than three inches tall. And it's sepia tone. And you know, she's standing there. I couldn't even tell her sport, but I could tell she was an athlete and had USA on the chest. And she just looked so proud. And there was truly something about that card that just sent bubbles of excitement through my blood. And so I didn't have the time frame. Like now I limit it to 1972 because that's the passage of Title IX in women's sports internationally, even though it's an American law, but inter- uh, women's sports internationally has changed since then. So I wanted to have that as a benchmark. 
So I pretty much collect everything before 1972, as far back as I can find them. They have to be original cards, and I really like them to be printed around the time that the athlete was in her prime um, or competing. And so I don't do aftermarket cards um, unless it's just a really rare occasion, like a Babe Dedrickson card, just because it shows her notoriety over time. But most of the time, it's it had to be impactful to the people during the day when um, when the person was competing. And it also reflects the socioeconomic norms of acceptability of women in sports during that time too. So that's, yeah, that's my story in kind of a nutshell, a big one in a nutshell, but um, that's how I got into it. Yeah. So, so um, it, talk to me about when you, that you picked up that Lillian Copeland card, you'd sent bubbles of excitement and you, first of all, I guess, share with us who, who Lillian Copeland is. And then once you picked up that card, was it, was it on, um, was it on someone's table? Was it, is that something you purchased right then and there? Like talk to, uh, talk to me about kind of that next step once you saw the, the image. Yeah, I think it was, um, it was, a uh, like, a some kind of antique slash, I don't think it was even dedicated just to sports cards. It was one of these shows set up in the mall in the, in the hallways or the corridors of a mall. And it was underneath the glass display case. It was probably 12 bucks at the time. And at the time that was, you know, expensive for me in the nineties when I was in grad school, but I had to have it. And uh, that did send me on a hunt to find other ones. And it took me a while, like I said, to just kind of narrow down the, that time frame to dedicate my resources. Um, but Lillian Copeland was an American uh, track star and mostly known for throwing events. So javelin and shot put and, and discus. And I think she was, yes, not only an Olympian, she won the gold medal in the 1932 Los Angeles Olympics. And then she won silver in the 1928 Amsterdam Olympics. So she got to travel. But like I said, at the time, I didn't even know who she was. Um, she just captivated my attention as like, there was just something so cool about this, that there was this woman, not only on a sports card, but a really old one. Totally. So, so oftentimes when people jump back in the hobby or entering the hobby for the first time, it's that one moment with that one card that they look at and then they're hooked. And then they say, you know what, like I'm, I'm on a path and this path is going to have many twists and turns and I'm not quite sure where it's going to take me, but for some reason, the, the, the power of cardboard and the pursuit just lands us in many different directions. What was your, what was your mindset after you picked up that card? What was your direction? Obviously women were a big part of your pursuit, but was there any specific direction um, that you were going? Was it research? Like what, what happened next? I didn't really have a goal at first, except to just to try to find as many as I could. And I had no idea how many were out there. I have a good idea now, but it's not an exact science. When my collection grew to about 200, I thought, all right, now I'm onto something. <laughs> you know, this is, this is really unique. And one of the things I was learning was even though I had studied women in sports in somewhat to some degree history, but a little bit more of contemporary law, like Title IX and what was happening in current um, sporting situations. But these little cards were opening up vignettes of history. You know, I was learning things about them, about athletes I hadn't heard about before, because a lot of them were international cards. 
So when I got to around 200 cards, I thought maybe this is worthy of a book. And throughout the time, my my collection kept growing. You know, I'll look and I'll hunt um, on and off. I'm not always on the hunt. Uh, It kind of goes in spurts. But um, I'm up to over 1,300 cards now in that genre. So again, just all vintage. And I am working on a book and I'm probably days away from submitting a book proposal. And so that's one of the big things I've wanted to get out there is the book. And it's going to an academic press. Um, so it, it has to be historically correct. And it's not just about the trading card hobby, but also a fair bit about um, the socioeconomic times and standards that these women lived through and competed in. And that's been an education in itself. Uh, eventually, I would also like a museum show. I think these would make a fantastic exhibit. Uh, you always see men's cards. And even the women I've talked to, men or women, that have either coached their whole lives, um, been advocates of women's sports, been educators of women's sports, pretty much every person that I've shown these cards to, they always have that same reaction of, oh my gosh, I never knew these existed. So, you know, the fact that they're out there and yet a lot of people, maybe, you know, the diehard collector knows about them, but a lot of people don't that could really benefit from their lessons. Yeah, no, I, I have, I had no idea when I looked at your Instagram page, I, I, they were images and photos that I had never seen before. And I drilled in and I wanted to learn and because of just curiosity. And I think there's so much in the sports card hobby right now. That's a lot of the same and people doing the same thing and collecting the same thing. So that's, I think that's what stands out to me is just the uniqueness of what you're pursuing. And then not only is you're on the hunt and it's a pursuit, but you're trying to capture that history and bottle it up and put it in an artifact like a book or a museum. And I think that's super powerful. Um, I, 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 one of the quotes I saw on your website, you said a picture might, might say a thousand words, but but if you know the history, the story is much richer, which I, I'm, a, I'm a storyteller in my professional career, and that resonates with me. I'm curious, just in this pursuit of all of these unique cards, what are some, what are some of the, your favorite stories that, that you've uncovered along the way? So what kind of drove that quote um, was actually not of an actual athlete, but of a woman from the 18, I think the cards like around the, it's the 1800s and it's a Virginia Brights tobacco card of a woman on a bicycle. And my initial reaction, so here's this woman on a big wheel bicycle, which is what they used to call them. And she's wearing trousers and suspenders and she has short hair and she's smoking. And I first thought at my uneducated point of view was that's really interesting here's this woman on a bicycle and selling cigarette cards. But the more I dug into it, the more I realized how controversial women were on bicycles, how a lot of men did not like women on bicycles because it represented um, not only freedom, but some things about morality that they didn't like or assumed. And to cross-dress in a lot of places was not only um, not looked upon positively, but in some counties, it was actually illegal. And so to put a woman in trousers was um, almost verboten, if you will. Women didn't smoke until about the 1920s, or at least in an acceptable standards. They smoked, but they, they didn't smoke out loud, I mean, or out in public. It was practically seen as like a sign of prostitution if you smoked. And so here they are dressing up a woman like a man because you can't wear, you can't ride a big wheel bicycle 
in a big dress. I mean, you'll fall over and crash. So that, yeah, so they have her dressed as a man and smoking and all of these things are male characteristics. And so I just thought there's a lot more to this story just by understanding the history a bit. I think one of the cards of an actual athlete that's been really fascinating to me is Hattie Stewart. And that card was from 1888 and she was a female boxer um, or pugilist. And I would have never in my search of sets ever looked up boxing, you know, thinking that women boxed back then, but they did. And um, the card is really unique because they have her pictured both in a stance where they're showing her with bare fists. And then they have a smaller picture where she's kind of sparring with a man. And in that one, you can see little white gloves on her. And so this time frame of 1888 was around the time when um, boxing in America started to transition from the old style of bare fists and even bare breasts, breast, boxing bare breasted, men and women sometimes. Um, to adapting the rules or adopting the rules that we know today of including um, gloves and eventually headgear and other things. But so that was really interesting to, you know, mirror the time frame of what you're seeing on the card with what was actually going on in the fact that there was a woman boxing. Absolutely. No, I, I, that backstory on the, uh, the bicycle and just the history behind that on the tobacco card I can't, I can't stop thinking, I, I can't stop thinking about that image now that you're, 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 you're talking about it, but I think that's what's so um, gripping about um, the cards that you're collecting or that are a part of your collection. So when I look at your page, I, it, to me, it, it's, it looks, I, it's, I see females. It seems like vintage. Certainly it seems like relics of the past. I, they don't look they're they don't look uniform they all look very different and so to me it it looked like because i spend a lot of time in the hobby and researching sets and stuff a lot of what i'm seeing on your page is stuff i've never seen before you're in it you're searching you're you're trying to understand the history are you stumbling across these cards and seeing them the, for the first time are you researching and and seeing that these sets exist and you're trying to learn more about them and that inspires the pursuit. Like what's your process in uncovering some of these gems? I'll give away all my treats. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been a process. It's definitely a needle in a haystack. There is no one source that's, that's got them all. And what makes them look unique, I think is because it's an international collection, but also I mean, some of these came through sports sets, but as trading cards from the early part of the 20th century, so say like 1900 through 1936, they were interspersed with other sets um, that had mixed topics. And so every company, whether it was a tobacco company or a confectionery, they had a different look to their cards. The process I go through is kind of a mixed one. It's... And sometimes I look, I look through lists, like either the PSA lists or other lists that I come across on the internet. The hardest part is when they're international names and I have to look up each one if I can't tell if it's male or female. It's kind of time consuming to go through this combing through lists. And then through mostly eBay, um, there's a section on tobacco cards and there's a section on sports cards. And so looking through those, I, I sometimes use keywords. Sometimes it's around the sports. Sometimes it's girl, female, woman. And so, and sometimes I just look through lists until my eyes get blurry, you know, or pages, I should say. 
and that doesn't take too long, like 10 or 20 or so pages, but uh, it's just been a time intensive process of 28 years uh, or so of 25 years or so of doing this and just building the list. And so of the ones I own of, it's like around 1350 now, 1350. And then the, I try to take note of the ones that either I choose not to buy or I can't afford or whatever the case may be. And so that list is a little bit over 2,100 cards. Wow. Now that you said you can't afford I, the way, and maybe I'm wrong, but the, the way I'm looking at these cards, are they, or do they have comps on pricing? Like if you see something or is there something familiar that has sold within the last 90 days that you can compare prices to, or is it kind of just a crapshoot on, on what these things are valued or, or does it vary? Usually they're not that much because people don't value them. And um, the ones that do have a price to them are usually sought after sets. And so say, for example, the Gaudi Sport Kings um, set of 1933, you know, it only has two women in it. Babe Diedrichson, who's probably the most um, well-known athlete of the 20th century and Helen Stevenson, or Stevens, the um, swimmer. And they're the only two. And so if you want a complete set, you have to find these two. And, or you just, you know, you just collect the women and then you end up paying a price if it's in kind of condition. Some of the Dominion chocolate cards around women um, can drive up a price just because I think they're rare as well. You know, I mean, thank goodness for the internet. It's made shopping a little bit easier when it comes to an international market. I, I get things from um, all over Europe and Canada and in the U.S., of course, but that's helped a little bit. But as far as value, luckily, you know, they haven't cost that much. It's just because I, you know, I'll buy sports that I'm not even typically are traditionally interested in or even have ever even competed in, like figure skating or even like that much, but I'll purchase them because it's an important part of the story and they represent women in sports. But I just think because people don't have a great awareness of them and maybe it doesn't have a, a big collector's market that they haven't been all that expensive. I think there's only about three that I've probably spent over a hundred bucks on. That's pretty good for as many cards as you have. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a problem. That's a, that is a, I, a lot of people that I talk with, including myself, wish that, cards were a lot more cheaper than they were, uh, than they are now. Um, so that sounds like a, a nice problem to have. Um, <laughs> I guess so here's a couple of questions just off the top of my head. I'm curious, is, is there like a, you know, in, in that in cards in general, people always look at which the sales, I think in a PSA 10 golden auction sold the, the Fleer Jordan, you know, for over $700,000 within the past week, which is insane. Or is there obviously probably not at that level in price and cost, but when people think of sports cards, people think of that Michael Jordan card. Is there a, is there a, a, a woman's equivalent to that Michael Jordan card that is like the iconic woman's card in your opinion? Yeah, not at that price point, thank goodness. But I would say it is the, the Gaudi Sport King. For American cards, it's the Gaudi Sport King card of uh, Babe Dedrickson. That was one of the first cards I was told about from a sport card dealer again before internet and i it took me a long time to, to get it um that i wasn't outbid on it and i think i don't know i think just because it's an american set it's a it's a colored photograph it has a unique look and so it doesn't just look like a black and white photograph i think those things make it special and of course especially if it's graded 
Um, it can be in the three to four figures, but I've never seen anything beyond that. The Bobby Rosenfeld card of Dominion Chocolates, um, she was kind of like the Babe Dietrichson of the U.S. in that she was a multi-sport athlete, but arthritis uh, took her out of the game early on and she had to retire pretty early. So unlike Babe, who had a career, you know, in track and field and then golf in the 50s, and then she passed young, but um, at a young age. But yeah, I would say the Bobby Rosenfeld card is also one that I've spent some change on, you know, both as um, graded cards. So that was my next question. Are you grading these cards or are you buying them graded? Do you keep them raw? So most of them I have bought that weren't graded. I think I made a huge mistake early on when I bought a graded card and I took it out of the case, not realizing <laughs> like, this is annoying. This doesn't fit in my sleeve. <laughs> and so I took it out of the case and I kept the little sleeve and I didn't realize the whole, I mean, this is years ago, but I didn't realize the whole, um, the importance of grading. Mm-hmm. Now, when I look, if it's a card I've never seen before and it looks to be authentic and the person has a good rating, I'll, I'll get it ungraded. But now I'm getting a bit more picky and I'm trying to find graded cards. And a lot of it has to do with the purpose of a museum show because people want to see the best quality that they can when it comes to seeing a museum show. So not that grading means it's the best quality, but it means at least it's authentic. So I try to purchase the best quality that I can afford and um, finding ones I haven't seen before. That's the challenge right now. Are you, I I know you only collect up until 1972, but have you been paying attention to any of maybe the recent women's product? I know there was a lot of buzz on like the WNBA cards. Is that something that you've paid attention to at all? A little bit. I picked up some of the the sets when they came out. I've got one of the pinnacle, what they call the oil can sets that came. Well, I think it was one of the first WNBA series. Um, and each each uh, wax pack, if you will, each set was in a in a can, and each can had uh, the printing of whatever team they represented. So the cans themselves became a collector's item. I still have those. I have a lot of the other ones that came out. And I think there were a few years that for some reason the WNBA didn't put them out. But I think one of the big mistakes that the contemporary um, cards are making, or at least made, I mean, one, there was the oversaturation in the 90s we, we know about. But when you can release the entire set and you can buy the entire set, to me, I think that takes some of the fun out of the surprise. Because then you know, you know, and especially as an adult, you can afford sometimes afford the entire set. And so it's just becomes almost like a, like a hoarding, (laughs) getting the, getting everything instead of this, this unknown surprise of what's in it. And um, I don't know how much adults trade, but, you know, of course that was part of being a kid and trading cards. And uh, I think the other thing that, that I lose a little bit um, of interest in that the contemporary cards do that the older ones don't, is that the contemporary cards, the modern cards, focus a lot of their efforts or their visual representation on graphics and, and you know, outshining the other one in its graphic representation outside of the athlete. And it's interesting that if you look at the, the Gaudi Sport King series, that the fact that I think card manufacturers knew that that's such a collectible series that they even tried to put modern or, or recent athletes, you know, back into that look, that trying to imitate that look. So I think there's a lot to be said about uh, you don't need, you know, colors and swirls and stars and holograms and all of these things. I mean, maybe you do it to keep it interesting for some audiences. But for me, I like 
I really like this simple look. I like that just with a photograph um, that it can tell a story in itself. Like there's one of the cards I have that's one of my favorite ones. It's black and white. I think it's a Fanny um, Blankers Cohen and, and she's walking on a track, um, like across the track and her head's down and she looks kind of defeated in a sense. She didn't have a good performance. And for some reason that image made uh, a trading card. And I just think it, it shows the humanness of an athlete in addition to, you know, their, their gold medal winning performance and victory. And uh, I, I just think that made it, for me, it makes it more appealing and and a stronger human connection than trying to out graphic each other in cards. I love that so much. Just uh, humanizing everything in those moments. It's uh, like Instagram, right? It's everyone wants to post their best and they're perfect, but that's not the case. You know, 97% of the time it's, you know, those, those rough experiences and just being, you know, showing some humility and sharing out kind of, you know, what, what those moments are. So that I, that's where that takes me to when you're describing that card. I, I'm curious, you've said you've been collecting since 94. Are there other women in your network that you, you know, have, we all have our like, you know, text groups in the hobby that we're sharing information about and showing off our cards. Are there any other women that you that are collecting like you're collecting or are you kind of one of a kind? Yeah, not that I've met. And it's funny on the Instagram page, uh, from what I can tell anyways, it's more men on it than women. And it makes sense because men grew up with cards and a lot of times women didn't. And so, um, no, I'm, I feel like the odd duck out sometimes. I did, uh, some, one woman reached out to me and she said she just, you know, picked up the Gaudi King, the Sport King card of Babe and it was graded and she was so excited and she'd been looking for it for a while. But it's, I think most collectors that might be into like a particular sport or an athlete, they focus on that. And I've got a, a pretty broad scope pardon the pun, but I've got a pretty <laughs> wide scope of, um, sports that, you know, anything that's female athlete pre-1972 printed in the time that they were competing, I'll try to pick it up. But yeah, I, I unfortunately I don't have like a, a women's sports, um, female support group <laughs> for, my office, for the, 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 the collection, but I, I like it though. It, it makes you unique in your collection unique. I mean, I think we all aspire to have unique collections that we're curating and you're certainly doing that. Um, before we get out of here, I'd love to hear just, you mentioned your book and you mentioned the museum piece as just aspirational goals. Uh, talk about maybe the work you're doing there on the book and the timeline that um, you're um, looking to release it. So uh, the it has to be submitted first as a proposal. And part of that proposal is to write two chapters. And so that's what's taken a, a fair bit of time because I, I can't do this in my day job. And so uh, I've been working on that for the past roughly three years. And hopefully if uh, if uh, the publisher that I'm submitting to accepts it, I've given them a one-year timeline to finish because I've written probably about half the book at this point. And it's not just the two chapters, I've written other things and researched in other areas. And so hopefully within a year, a year to two years is my guess on that. And then I understand there's a women's sports museum opening up in Florida, or at least they're fundraising for it. And so I thought that might be a good target market for uh, the collection to have it sport themed. There's also a women's museum in Washington, DC, a women's art museum, I should say, 
Uh, and then they've done some things around sports too. And so if I can get a traveling exhibit, that'd be great. You know, for me, um, neither one of these projects has been about the money and nor is the collection. It's truly a, a, a passion of mine. And it's just something that fills me. And I think when I was doing my master's, you know, I wanted to come out of that better understanding what I wanted to do in the sport field. And, and what I discovered is I wanted to do something that promoted women's sports. And I thought that was around marketing, but um, I mean, I thought that's only what it could have meant is, you know, you promote sports and that must be your marketer. And I didn't want to go into marketing, but this is it, you know, and this is, and this is part of it at least. So, I mean, you know, promoting some women's sports history, you know, I never thought I'd be an expert in trading cards or at least women's sports trading cards, but um, I'm happy if, if that's it. And to tell these stories because they're there and they're hidden. And, um, you know, the fact that, a, that companies would use images of women's sports to sell their product in a time when women weren't supposed to be athletes, I think makes a really unique story. I, I love it. And yeah, it's, it's extremely compelling. And I know I have a very curious audience. So there will, there will be people who listen to this episode who will start to educate themselves on women's sports cards after that, this conversation. And I think that to me is what this is all about is just to bring some awareness to what you're doing. Your page obviously is a great place to start in your website, but I'm so glad we got the opportunity to hear from you and hear about your passion Definitely everyone go make sure you check out Cindy on her Instagram page at gentle legends and on her mark.com. Cindy, this is so, this was so much fun. Um, definitely you'll have to let us know how the book is going and when it's ready to be released, we'll get you back on and you can talk about it. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. There's so much passion and I love the journey that Cindy is on to acquire some of these cards to make her collection working towards a book and a museum show. I think that's extra cool. Definitely go hit follow on at giant legends, go check out her site on her So much to learn there. And just, I, I think we should all take an opportunity to get exposed in areas of the hobby that we might not be familiar with. Hit subscribe on this show. If you're not already, I appreciate all you. I appreciate you talking to talking about stacking slabs to your friends and getting them tuning in and listening in it means a ton take care of yourself take care of others around you i'll be back next week 